Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into the big talking points in football. I'm Ian McGarry, and I am extremely pleased to welcome back Duncan Castles. I don't think there were any butterflies involved uh, during his absence last week, but uh, I'm sure he's listened to uh, Graham Hunter's contribution, which, as always, was insightful and very entertaining. Now, we did tell you, because, of course, we bring you the news, you know, the last part, last week, that Ralph Ranić. Manchester United's so-called interim manager wanted the job full-time and Ranjik then stood our story up in his press conference when he said or indicated certainly that should he be offered the opportunity to continue after his initial contract expires next summer, then he would certainly be very interested in taking it. Now, Duncan, um, I have been told, uh, and of course it's early days, that the players at Manchester United have been very impressed by Ranić's methods, by his personality. And when I say his personality, this is maybe the interesting um, sort of, let's just say, detail. Apparently, he's very decisive, uh, both in training um exercises as well as team selection tactical um, set out on formations, uh, whereas uh, it seems Solskjaer preferred to allow his other coaches to have an input in all of those aspects of how the team was run, and that caused mixed messages uh, to some players who then claimed or at least um, believed that that led to uh, mistakes, um, both on the pitch and indeed uh, bad results. They're also impressed by uh, his attitude, his disciplinary uh, attitude in particular. I'm told that during one phase of play uh, training session that took place, uh, he asked one section of the team to perform in a certain way. I believe it was the midfield playing against uh, the back uh, four. And when they did not actually carry the exercise out as he had requested and indeed instructed them, Duncan, Ranić immediately brought a halt to the session, went to the players involved and said, what is so difficult about what I asked you to do? If you don't do what I ask, if you don't do how I'm instructing you, then we're not going to win football matches. Now, a lot of players would take that badly, as we both know, but instead, the players kind of looked at each other and nodded as if to say, okay, this guy's got something about him. So, future bright for Ralph Ranić, whether it is six months, or six years? Um, I'm not sure he's targeting six years at this stage, but it's very clear that 
that he wants to be manager. This is this is the biggest opportunity he's had in terms of a status of club. Uh, and he sees it as being more than an interim job, more than a fix the season and try and qualify for the Champions League and, and try and uh, uh, win the FA Cup or, or even um, sneak a Champions League win. Um, he sees himself as continuing on and in a position of uh, immense power it would be if, if if it went his way in the sense that he would have control of the team but also a huge say in recruitment because that has been one of his great specialities in his career um, and I think it's fascinating that he let put that marker down in the very first press conference um, by saying um, that he had not discussed what the consultancy role would involve um, and as far as he was concerned, what they were, what he'd come in to do was do was be manager for six months. And if they were to ask him whether he could uh, see himself continuing beyond that period, then um, that he felt, uh, he said, right now I feel and think and very much want to work as a coach, head coach, and team manager for the team. And this is what I've done in I would say ninety percent of the past twenty five years in my career. So that's Ranić saying this job is mine and I intend to hold on to it. Um, it doesn't surprise me he's made a good impression in training. He, he's obviously a very competent coach with very clear ideas about how he wants to work. That, that again has been central to his, uh, his entire career in football. Um, and he's coming into a situation where, uh, as we've discussed in this podcast, throughout the entire period of Uli Gunnar Solskjaer's reign as Manchester United manager, where the training was substandard, um, where sessions were primarily led by Michael Carrick and Kieran McKenna to whichever, whatever way you want to describe the two of them, they were extremely inexperienced to have control of training for a team of Manchester United's stature. Um, there were lots of issues in the, the dressing room, particularly amongst the higher status players and the players who um, had been at other clubs and saw how elite football clubs were run, what training was like day to day, um, what the tactical preparation for matches were like, what kind of plans were put in place ahead of games and how changes were made during games. And the message from those players was, this is not elite standard. Um, Willie Gunnar Solskjaer is not a dislikable character, but he's not a top manager. So it's fertile ground for someone of Ranić's abilities to come in, um, tell the players, look, um, you're not winning because you're not uh, following a coherent way of playing. I'm going to provide you with that coherent way of playing. And I want you to follow my instructions. It's not difficult. Other players at other clubs who um, have a, a far lower um, salary and transfer market value than, than you guys have are able to do it. So believe in me and things will turn around. Um, and you know, it's a fertile period. I think any change of, of management, players pay attention when a new man comes in. But I think it's especially productive for Manchester United because of the status of individual the, the reputation he comes with and the poor quality um, relative to their peers that the players had been experiencing for the last three years. And, you know, there's a desire 
amongst a lot of those players to end this long fallow period at United where some of the criticism, in fact, quite a lot of the criticism came back to them because Solskjaer's friends in the media um, for long, long periods refused to criticise Solskjaer and, and turned the attention either on the Glazers or on the players. Um, and you have guys like Bruno Fernandes um, in the dressing room. You have Cristiano Ronaldo in the dressing room who are absolutely focused on winning, um, very intolerant of low standards uh, and receptive to someone coming in and providing proper coaching, proper leadership and helping them to win the trophies um, and win the plaudits they expect to get when they go out in the football field. And further to the notion, of course, um, that Ranić uh, is confident in himself, his ability, and in what he can bring uh, to the Old Trafford Club. Uh, there have been recruitment meetings, uh, too, I'm told, um, to talk about the January window ostensibly, but that Ranić sees his role as preparing United for the summer window next year. He has impressed the recruitment staff who are currently there. By that, I mean John Murta, uh, Darren Fletcher, Richard Arnold, uh, by his uh, philosophy of, look, I, I'm not a manager who just buys a, some really talented players, th you know, throws them in and, and says, right, OK, let's hope that we get a result because, after all, look, look at the amount of quality we've got on the pitch. Instead, his reputation and indeed factually and historically, Ranić is a team builder. He prefers a team to be more uh, than the sum of its parts. And therefore, uh, in doing so, he has forged a reputation for discovering younger talent which can be developed, improved, etc. Something, again, which Manchester United don't necessarily take advantage of in recent years. Um, obviously, the two players you mentioned, Duncan, uh, Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo, are immune uh, because of the quality they have and what they've already contributed to Manchester United. But that will also, of course, um, need to include a cull of Deadwood at Old Trafford. Um, I mean, where Ed Woodward has been like the Christmas elf running around handing out contract extensions to players who don't even feature in the first team, um, Ralph appears to be determined to be the Grim Reaper, uh, stick his black robe on and uh, get his scythe out and take them, take them out below the knee. Uh, the only problem with that, of course, is Duncan, uh, modern footballers, especially players at Manchester United, are extremely well paid. A lot of them, and it has been said, uh, even by some of the more, let's just say, loyal Manchester United former players, that there needs to be a, a turnover of players in order uh, to improve the overall quality of the squad and, probably more importantly, the overall quality of the team. How would Ranić, indeed not just Ranić, but of course the administrators at the club, persuade players that, look, uh, being a substitute, a, a, a reserve at Manchester United 
um, is not something that we want uh, for you to be. Uh, we would rather you moved on and look, we will pace up some of your contract in order to make it sweeter to leave. And look, I, th- I think Ranjik highlighted in a, in a subtle fashion a couple of elements of, of the squad and how he perceives the squad. One, one thing he said was there are no shortage of players at Manchester United. Um, it's not numbers they need. In fact, um, and what they need is, uh, is to reduce numbers. Uh, we've talked before about how Solskjaer wanted a bigger squad this season and encouraged the club to give him a larger squad because he was... Uh, he was blaming lack of numbers for the the fitness problems and injury problems that were you know, a constant feature of his time at United and, and felt that by having the 30-man first team squad that he's got for this season, you'd be able to deal with that problem towards the end of the season by having more bodies available. That's not a practical number to work with. If you look across top clubs in European football, you won't see... Um, the, the successful teams having 30-man first-team squads by design because it's difficult to handle that number of individuals. Um, the ones who want to play can't all play. Um, organising training sessions is difficult. It, it, it's a recipe for problems. So I think you get an indication there of, of Ranić being keen to reduce numbers. Um, he also mentioned that there was no issue with attacking players. They, he had a, a wealth of of very good options going forward. So again, um, I think you can you can see that that's not where he'll be focusing his attention. But what he will want are players who play the type of football suited to playing the type of football that um, that he's used at other clubs. And, and I think it's it's notable. That one of the first things he's done is uh, change the fullbacks. He, he's brought Diogo Dalo into the team, uh, who is a very skilled um, attacking fullback, um, definitely with with far greater um, attacking skills than than Aaron Wan Bissaka. And uh, and Luke Shaw has been left out, which allows Alex Tellers to come in. I think Luke Shaw has been a particular problem for Manchester United's defence this season and that he's been out of shape and returned to um, uh, the errors of, of his past and, and the, his lack of positional sense has been underlined by his reluctance to, to run back um, after um, making attacks down the wing. So those two moves, I think, have helped the defence. And again, Rania emphasised that they were conceding far too many goals, like an average of two goals per game. Um, and obviously very, very few clean sheets over that long, sustained, um, uh, difficult final period that, that Solskjaer experienced. Um, different types of players who fit his system um, also emphasised how he liked having Fred and, and Scott McTominay in front of the defence because of the, the their mobility and their willingness to follow his instructions as to how they should position themselves, the work they should do off the ball. Uh, And the only thing he was uh, criticising them for was making some square passes when in possession, when he doesn't want square passes in that area of the field. So yeah, there's a lot of work to do there. And, And as you say, the difficulty with Manchester United is 
clearing players out. I think one of the, one of the problems has been Ed Woodward's strategy of overvaluing individuals and thinking by uh, giving them new contracts he can get a substantial transfer fee. So, um, you know, Jesse Lingard been looking for twenty five million for when he had just one. A uh, year of contract left, looking for substantial fees for guys like Marcus Rojo and, and Phil Jones, who who'd barely played, um, giving them big contracts over well over a hundred thousand pounds a week in order to uh, maintain their transfer value without ever realizing that transfer value. So they have to reassess the pricing of players and what are realistic numbers to let them go for. And I think also. You have that element of it's difficult to leave Manchester United as a footballer. If if you leave Manchester United, especially with it being Manchester United's choice to let you go, you're go you're almost certainly going to an inferior club. You might be able to sustain your salary, but your status in the game is probably going to drop unless you do what Lingard did in the last January window, which is go to. Uh, you know, a, a club that has a degree of attention on them and score goals uh, and perform at a level where your your status increases and get into the England national team and you have discussion over um, who will try and sign you um, in this window with, you know, obviously Newcastle United being one of the clubs who are, who are chasing them um, with an intensity at, at present. But typically it's a step down. Um, typically the new club can't afford to pay you higher wages than than you're being paid at United. So there's not much incentive to go unless you actually want to play football. Um, and there are num- there are players in that Manchester United squad who I've been told are quite happy to be reserves at Manchester United, to be squad players at Manchester United, so that they are part of one of the big clubs and they, they sit on, on substantial style salaries. Um, without having that much pressure on them to perform. So interestingly, Jesse Lingard, you mentioned, Duncan, um, one player who has resisted uh, Ed Woodward's um, invitations to talk about an extension to the contract which expires in six months' time. You also mentioned Newcastle United. Uh, It is our understanding at the Transfer Window podcast that Lingard, who turns 29, Duncan, that's correct, I'm thinking? Yeah, next week. Well, there you go, so next week, may well get a nice birthday present from uh, Newcastle's new owners in that they are willing to compensate uh, him leaving Manchester United and coming to uh, make a hat-trick of United's that he's played for, given his loan spell at West Ham, um, and putting him on £200,000 a week to do, make that move. And, of course, they can kind of justify that on the basis that there will be either a nominal or, if they wait until next summer, no fee whatsoever. Now... I'm not so sure about that, Duncan, because Newcastle's always been quite a political club in terms of players. And we both know that players who are at the club already don't like it when someone else comes in who isn't Cristiano Ronaldo or Bruno Fernandes or Kylian Mbappe, but gets 
twice the amount of money that they're earning, uh, having not achieved anything, not that many Newcastle players have, um, at the club. And also, uh, one of the problems Newcastle United are having, Duncan, I understand you have information regarding their pursuit of a sporting director and how the uh, failure to so far identify and employ a so, someone in that role is ham- hampering, at least if not handicapping, their ability to both identify and recruit new players in January and potentially beyond. Well, I think the test is coming on that and the messages I'm hearing from Newcastle United, I would say are worrying um, in that their perspective on this pursuit seems to be that they can get away without hiring a sports director immediately. It's not the priority it was. They have people on staff who are capable of um, of doing the work required to secure the players they need in the window. They feel like they've got a number of strong targets who they think are accessible. Um, Lingard being one of those. Um, another you can, we, can, we can talk about in more detail later is Sven Botman, the, the Netherlands centre-back um, at Lille. Um, so they seem to have a confidence that they can get this done with Amanda Staveley doing a lot of work in the, the transfer market and um, their current senior recruitment specialist, Steve Nixon, also being involved in those deals. They've, they're doing this against a backdrop in which they've um, interviewed multiple candidates for sports director, director of football, technical director, head of recruitment, whatever you, they decide to finally call this, this person. But they've spent a lot of time in interviews. Um, they've interviewed certain candidates on multiple occasions. Um, they have gone through quite detailed um, discussion of how those people would work, the, the, the circumstances under which they could come in immediately. Interestingly, there has been uh, a couple of proposals, at least, that I'm aware of, where they have suggested that the, the candidate uh, joins on a temporary basis initially in order to help them with and oversee the January transfer window. So it, kind of like a, a trial run um, for both parties in that that individual would come and use their expertise expertise to help them through this window, which is still absolutely fundamental to their, the battle they have to, to stay in the Premier League. Um, and if it works for Newcastle, if they like that, uh, individual working with them, then it would uh, convert into a permanent role um, with also the, the the individual themselves having the ability to look at Newcastle United, look at Amanda Staveley, PCP Capital and Saudi Arabia and see um, what they are like to work with. And, and it would give those individuals a hedge against the possibility that, um, that Newcastle are relegated because it's not going to look good in your CV if you come in as the, the, the man supposedly to save them in the transfer market and keep them in the Premier League and you're unable to fix it for whatever reason and they go down um, with them being talked about as being one of the wealthiest clubs in, in football in that period. Um, Michael Emanalo has clearly briefed, the former Chelsea technical director has clearly briefed that he was offered the sports director role um, and that he turned it down because uh, the, the 
the ambitions of the club, the the, the way in which the club um, talked about working with them were not attractive to him. Now, that's Emanalo's brief. I've talked to people on the Newcastle side and they are clear that there was no offer of the sports director role. In fact, um, Amanda Stavely's husband, Merta Gadusi, who's one of the uh, directors at Newcastle now, went on Twitter to say um, publicly that he, Emanalo was not offered the position. I My understanding is that while Emanalo wasn't offered the sports director's job, he they did discuss that temporary role that I've just outlined to help with the January window with him, and he wasn't interested in doing that. Um, if they are to go down that line of, of hiring someone immediately, even on a temporary basis, they're cutting it very, very fine to do so. Um, you're now, what, three weeks away from the window opening. That person, I think, typically would want to go to Newcastle, have extensive conversations with Eddie Howe, the coaching staff, um, get a proper idea of what the club's uh, ambitions and, and, and resources are over the next uh, couple of years and also start talking with the players currently at the club to get a sense of, of their capabilities and, and what their intentions are because Newcastle, to, to bring players in, are going to have to move players out. So it's a good idea to find out who uh, is open and ready to leave before getting in, involved in January business. Um, and, and these deals aren't simple ones to do. A January window is a difficult one to, to operate in. So I, I think that Newcastle have now got themselves into a position where because of this convoluted process where PCP Capital interview um, candidates and then uh, put their recommendations to Saudi Arabia and then Saudi Arabia decide whether they want to interview the candidate as well, whether they're going to approve the appointment or not. This whole process has dragged on much further than it should have. And you now have noises from the new Newcastle United ownership that they think they can handle it by themselves. They can handle January by themselves using the old recruitment staff who their plan has been to replace um, since they came into the club. I, and I think there is a real risk that Amanda Stavely gets a very big shock when she actually starts operating in this market. Um, and... For example, Sven Botman, uh, my information is uh, Leo because of their desperation to, to um, create uh, income in this window might sell Botman for as little as 25 million euros. There are definitely discussions with the players' representatives. The deal has not been done. Um, I'm told it's a possibility, but it's not a straightforward move. When it comes out that Botman is likely available for 25 million euros, the chances are that a, a club in a better league position um, will get interested in that deal and come in and compete with Newcastle. And then they get into the question mark of can you convince a player of Botman's quality would be a great addition to their defence to come to Newcastle with money and the promise of something good down the line rather than go to a more established club um, immediately um, without having to worry about what's going to happen with Newcastle over the next uh, half season in particular, but um, the several years going forward. As far as the sport director's job's concerned, Duncan, um, I hear that uh, Eddie Howe's old mate, 
Andy Burton is available for work. <laughs> In joke for you journalists out there, uh, if you didn't know who Andy is, get on Google. Uh, so I'd mention a couple of other candidates that, who have been interviewed by Newcastle. I left them out there. Nick Hammond, um, who most recently mm-hmm. has been Celtic head of football operations, also taken uh, director of football type roles at Reading and West Bromwich Albion previously, and also Andy Scott, who has just left Swansea City as their head of recruitment. I don't think from uh, information I have that they are the most likely appointees, but they have also been interviewed. It gives you a sense of the of the breadth of candidates they're looking at without actually securing um, anyone for the role for a window that that really could be pivotal to whether the the club that has been bought with such controversial um, expenditure and finagling of of the of the Premier League rules um, need to be successful in order to ensure they stay in the Premier League. Was finagling not a, a right back for Dundee United in the sixties? <laughs> seems or to be see, seems to be familiar. Irish party, political party. <laughs> so, um, I, just to. In this part of the uh, pod discussion, Duncan, it does seem to me that when you have someone like Amanda Staveley, who you're right, is the front of house, if you like, in terms of um, negotiating, identifying, etc., etc. But of course, PCP um, have the veto on any final say with regards to purchasing players, et cetera, et cetera. Saudi Arabia have the veto. Sorry, Saudi Arabia have the veto, yes. Uh, (laughs) um, One of the problems is you've got two parties who, with all due respect, don't know very much about football, don't know very much about how football transfers work, nor indeed probably don't have that many contacts who can get deals over the line. And that's something which, of course... Um, Roman Abramovich discovered two uh, deep holes in his bank account when he first arrived at Chelsea and relied purely on, well, effectively one single agent and uh, ended up spending in the region of £200 million on players who disappeared (laughs) into the ether. Um, And it took a while for them to get their recruitment policy in order and the right people in place. Uh, with the um, knowledge and contacts and the ability to, uh, let's just say, uh, grease the axles (laughs) of the football transfer market um, by knowing the right people and uh, and being prepared to negotiate agents, commissions, etc., etc. So that's something Newcastle United are going to have to, I think, address very quickly, as you've said, Duncan, with regards to this being a pivotal moment uh, in terms of Newcastle's uh, potential to stay in the Premier League. Although, given that they have now been dubbed uh, on several occasions the richest football club in the world, I'm sure they could take the hit of the £92 million in TV revenue if they did have to go down to the Championship um, for a season before, of course, buying Mbappe, Ronaldo, 
messy, etc. next summer. One club, Duncan, who um, it seems uh, are much better organised with the way they conduct their business because it's done in a very discreet and also timely fashion is Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, they have certainly spent significant sums uh, in the market itself, but there are only, I understand, three clubs in the division which have um, a lower wage bill than Brighton and Hove Albion have. And you have information with regards to the um, opening of talks, not an offer, uh, for probably one of their outstanding players of the season so far. Yeah, they, they've opened discussions with Neil Mope over a new contract. He um, is with them currently until 2023, though I understand Brighton have an option for an additional year um, on his current terms. Um, 25 years of age at present, um, 14 Premier League appearances, six goals so far this season, and uh, certainly a player who gets himself into position to score a lot of goals. If if he was a bit more efficient with his with his chance taking, then you, I think you could expect him to be in double figures already this season, which is remarkable um, at, for a, a Brighton striker uh, in the Premier League. Um, so discussions opened. Um, and I think both sides are trying to sound out and feel get a feel for um, what uh, their expectations are, what what Brighton are capable of um, improving Mopey's contract uh, to, and uh, and the possibility that something will be agreed during the course of this season, um, but also that uh, Mopey will wait till the summer, um, see how many goals. He has got by the end of that period, and and uh, have a look at um, what external interest there is in the services if Brighton don't tie him down by then. Uh, yeah, indeed, um, I did hear one Brighton and Hove Albion fan, a wagon, possibly even a builder, say that Mopey takes longer to convert chances than companies do lofts. So. Um, take that as you will. But 6-14 and 14 so far is his best return. It doesn't look like it's going to let up. He's clearly Graham Potter's first choice. This has been the first podcast of the transfer window of the week, which means we will end with our hero and villain section. Duncan, I'm going to ask you to nominate your hero, even though you stole hero from me before we started recording. <laughs> um, hero of the week, Kylian Mbappe, um, for becoming the youngest player to score 30 Champions League goals in the competition's history, two weeks um, before his 23rd birthday. And uh, the person whose record he has rewritten is Lionel Messi's, um, just another mark of his uh, remarkable early stages of his career, um, one that I think before too long we should find out um, exactly um, how much he's going to be paid at his, his next club. Well, his teammate got two as well, taking his Champions League tally up to 127, Duncan. So um, as much as 
he's uh, broken that record to get to 30 before the age of 23. Still quite a long way to go to catch the Argentina captain. I am going to finish off with Villain because it's one of my favourites. Well, kind of, because it is an uh, association. My Villain of this week nomination is a club. And the club is AC Milan. Top of Serie A, playing against Liverpool in the Champions League this week, at home and losing. And in doing so, uh, it was a poor, poor performance. It really was. And um, as we always like to say on the Transfer Window podcast about Zlatan Ibrahimovic and AC Milan, eight million, you say? We'll leave you with that one. Uh, you can please engage with us on all our social media platforms, which are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, you'll also find us on uh, YouTube. Engage with us, please do. You know how much we love to get your views and we will be back with you later in the week. Until then, stay safe, be well and thanks for listening.